Hi, and welcome to a podcast above a convenience store. Uh, Jesus podcast. Christ. Jesus Christ. I'll start over. <laughs> Please leave that one in. Hi, and welcome to Rate That Album, the podcast where two guys who have no business reviewing music are reviewing music. Uh, we go album as album as we want to do. Uh, I am one of the members here, uh, Paul Muadib, and with me, as always, is my new heterosexual life partner, Joe Fremming. Joe, how you doing, sir? Uh, are we? Is this the podcast above a convenience store, Paul? <laughs> You're not going to drop that, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just counting out time, Paul. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) You're just counting out time. Yeah, uh, there's your clue. We are doing the epic Genesis concept album, The Lamb Lays Down on Broadway. Joe, before this podcast, have you ever heard this before? No. So I kind of want to get into like my history i know only of genesis well i know a little bit because i saw a documentary on them in like 2000 but -hmm. before that like like growing up in the 90s i had no idea peter gabriel was in genesis uh my knowledge of both were they were power pop bands acts of the 80s (laughs) not prog rock superstars of the 70s so, like, in 2000, I found found out that they were, like, a prog band, and Peter Gabriel was in it. It kind of blew my mind, and I was interested. I'd heard little clips in this documentary, and uh, it was, like, it kind of, like, fascinated me, but then I just kind of completely forgot, because life goes on when you're 20, 21. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of jarring that this the band that's, you know, put out I Can't Dance put out the lamb lays down on broadway so listening to this i was a little jarred at first because it's just like it's completely the opposite of the genesis we know Mm -hmm. at least in our generation i think we grew up with genesis you know uh what was that video with the puppets oh land of confusion land of confusion yeah so we kind of knew them from you know more of the phil collinsy power pop rock Mm -hmm. stuff great word for it power pop yeah And Peter Gabriel, we also knew from, you know, uh, Shock the Monkey, uh, Salisbury Hill, Mm -hmm. uh, Sledgehammer. uh, Yep, it's four self-titles, and then So were, like, our big ones that we grew up with. Yeah, so listening to this was really great. And then I got very confused about the timeline, because I started doing, (laughs) most of the time we let the other guy do the research, but, like, I was just, like, I went down a rabbit hole on this. I I figured you would. I'm looking at the timeline. Gabriel leaves the band after this in, in what, 75? We'll get to that. Yep, around that uh, time. Around 75. Both Gabriel and Genesis, it takes like another 10 years for them to become like household names. Mm-hmm. I assume this album came out in like 79, <laughs> which would be the logical progression. Like, I didn't know it took both factions of this that long. To actually kind of get more uh, more 
uh, uh, commercial success. Yes. So that kind of blew my mind too. Uh, Gabriel left and they thought he was going to have this big solo career and it doesn't come for 10 years, which is very rare in music, I think. <laughs> it is, yes. And we'll, and we'll get to that because um, that is something that I definitely want to get into. I want to spend a... I will, this, like I said, guys, the audience, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> okay, so kind of wrapping this up, the most I knew about Jen, so I watched, uh, so the documentary I brought up before, uh, I watched some of it on YouTube. There's like a whole hour dedicated to Lamb Lays Down on Broadway. Yes. So most of what I know about this band is from that and the, pat- and the uh, Genesis chapter in the book American Psycho. <laughs> okay, so that <laughs> whole that interview really interesting that's actually part of a box set that genesis put out and they actually do interviews on every single album for this box set that that genesis put out yeah it's you know it's got it's really kind of interesting because they had more members on like their first album and then you know as things go on and members change they switch out who's uh in the uh documentary and the lamb one, I'm glad you watched it because I'm going to be referring to that a lot, and you're going to you're going to know that. So, I think the big start here is that Genesis had a whole nother lineup for a while, and there was another member that was kind of considered the head of the group, much like a Sid Barrett. Uh, we're going to compare to Pink Floyd. Floyd, you mean Gilmer's band? You mean Gilmer's band? Um, Quit ruining the band, Gilmer. <laughs> Quit messing up, Gilmer. Um, and he was Anthony. It was this uh, guy by the name of Anthony, and who um, Anthony, there was there was a different drummer and like a different frontman. It was Anthony Phillips and Chris Stewart. At, they, you know, I'm not going to go through their entire library of yeah. music, but then There's Phil a whole Collins documentary out there. Um, yes, and then Phil Collins came in and Hackett came in, and they did an album called Nursery Crime. But then. The real one that really got them out there, that got Genesis known, was Selling England by the Pound, right? Was on, which is off of, uh, I believe, Foxtrot. That's what got them kind of big. And just like Pink Floyd, you get big and you have someone that was kind of the main person doing it. Kind of Peter Gabriel went into not quite roger rodders mode but into roger rodders mode for this album this was started in 1974 and there was it's amazing that this album even got done um because there was so much going on during this so gabriel was like he came up with this whole idea and he had watched el topo uh, el topo and that's where he originally got this idea from he's like i want to i want to do the uh, a journey um uh, uh, but with a punk twist, something like West Side Story and Pilgrim's Progress and El Topo. And the band was like, that's pretty heavy. And he's like, yeah, because of that, I'm going to do all the lyrics for it. <laughs> and they went to Headley Grange in East Hampshire. And the other band, I don't know who was in there before. Well, g- given on who's given the interview, it's either Bad Company or Led Zeppelin. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the entire place was trashed. They shit on the floor. There was rat infestations. The whole place was just a wreck. 
there was already early arguments in the idea uh, of where they wanted to go, but you know, Gabriel won. He's like, I'm going to lock my, you, know, you guys work on the music. You know, at this point, they've proven like with, with that whole Foxtrot and selling England by the pound that the group dynamic of, of Hackett, Collins, uh, Banks, and Rutherford was a powerhouse. And Collins was, uh, uh, Gabriel was like, you guys do that. Get, you know, send me what you're doing and I'll write lyrics. And he would kind of come out every once in a while and go, do this, do something like this, do something like this. Well, <laughs> there was a lot of things that were going on. Phil's, uh, excuse me, Gabriel's wife, uh, first wife had their first kid and she got a unclean epidural during the pregnancy and got really sick and it infected the baby. Uh, Gabriel was obviously neglecting writing duties, flying back and forth from where they were in East Hampshire back to where his wife was. And the band, especially um, Banks, was uh, was like, well, you're not putting any effort into this. This is This is our livelihood. You know, you need to either be here or get out. And that really started kind of the fray. And even Rutherford said in, in that interview, we were horribly unsupportive. Yeah. <laughs> you also remember, these are, what, they're early to mid-20s, too? Like, you're not your most empathetic in life when you're at that age. No, no, I will say, if you watch the, all the doc, if you watch that full documentary, Tony Banks is an asshole. Um, oh, yeah. He, that's, I loved him in it. It was like, yeah, my favorite yeah. favorite part of those documentaries because he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't hold back punches. And, like, I, I just also want to kind of insert this because I was shocked Please. watching this this documentary. And I watched another one where they had all of them. Like, I think it was, like, a few years ago that Gabriel Collins, Rutherford, and Banks all in a room talking about, the, the, about Genesis. They're kind of like the polar opposite of uh, Floyd when it comes to, like, disputes and members leaving in that they're the most fucking polite <laughs> group of guys about it like yeah when they talk about like gabriel leaving like yeah we kind of figured yeah and it's just like he's like yeah i don't you know collins wasn't gunning for my spot i just you know i left and he had to take you know they're so polite it's total opposite of waters and gilmer it's gilmer gilmer and waters Um, and like i use that uh that kind of link because like they're both british prog rock bands at the roughly around the same time so it's it's like night and day on how uh, dynamic and respectful one group it, group of guys are, and how fucking horrible the other group of guys are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Genesis kind of knew. I mean, those those other guys knew Gabriel was going in different directions than what they were comfortable with. And you know, it's really interesting actually when Gabriel left and did his first self title, Phil Collins came out and did drums to help him out. Yeah, and it was interesting in that documentary because I, I think it was Phil Collins was talking about like when they were mix, mixing, he was like on gate like it was him and Gabriel versus Rutherford and Banks mm-hmm. on the mixes, which is kind of cool. And yes, it's and it's like it make and it also you know later on it makes sense why his singing style is a lot like Gabriel's and that he had to fucking sing these songs after he left. Yes, and that I want to get into as well because it's if you look at some of the live stuff, because you know, jumping a little bit ahead, Gabriel left like during the tour of this, 
And so Phil Collins had to step in for the tour and do this. And we'll talk about that tour was nuts in of itself. Yeah, and this is actually Phil Collins, one of Phil Collins' favorite. Uh, it is his favorite. It's his favorite, which was another thing that really, like, like you know, it kind of shows how much of a nice guy he is. But, like, you know, it's I'm still looking this through the jaded lens of, like, Genesis kind of being the sound that I hated of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I'm very conflicted. Well, and you know, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit off air why. Well, I'll call him this um, when we're done. But brother Collins is actually a phenomenal dude. Like he is like the one of the most amazing people you'll meet. Then after all that happened, Gabriel comes back to do more writing, and then director William um, Fredkin, who had directed um, Exorcist, uh, writes a screenplay and wants Gabriel and Brian Eno to do the music kind of are doing this thing and unbeknownst to the band Gabriel when he asked hey Brian how can I repay you for this he's like well I need a drummer for Mother Whale Eyes and Gabriel went and sent Phil Collins to do it (laughs) And, and and Banks was pissed about this after all this stuff. And like right away, that also really led to more riff, you know, like, oh, man, Gabriel's doing his own thing. Like he's got his wife. He's got his kid. He's got this Hollywood gig going. He's he's shelling out members of the band like they're session musicians. He's going to leave and we need him to leave. Well, the album releases uh, in November of 1974. And hits number 10 in UK and only 41 in the US. Um, there were two big singles that came out of it, which was Counting Out Time and Carpet Crawlers, which I'm sure we'll get to. And actually, what's really interesting is the sleeve was designed by Storm Thorgerson. Yep, hypnosis. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, which did the Floyd albums. And from 1974, hey, he didn't just do Floyd albums. He did High and Dry by Def Leppard. Yes, that's, give it what it is. <laughs> hey Joe, what has seven arms and sucks? <laughs> um, so, um, from the, from November of 1974 to May of 1975, Genesis were doing 102 dates across North America and Europe, and in this, okay. I'm going to start here. The band, their set included the entire Lamb of Broadway with an encore. So they, you know, Lamb is 98 minutes long on the studio. Not a lot of members of the band, Tony Banks, were happy about this, playing this much. So, and they weren't completely comfortable with it because they did a lot of tricks in the studio to get some of those sounds. They weren't sure how to make it happen live. Then Gabriel is like, hey, I'm going to throw in a bunch of fucking costumes. Uh, while we're doing this and make a big stage show. And if you know anything about um, uh, Gabriel and stage, he's very much a performer. Um, if you haven't seen it, the secret world um, that he does um, with his daughter, there's a song um, downside up where they harness themselves and get lifted up on this platform upside down and run around and sing upside down. Um, so kind of like he's in all of this he's like it's art to him and there's at one point he had this this particular costume that covered his mouth so you couldn't hear him very well <laughs> there was three backdrops uh over 50 about 1500 slides from eight projectors and a laser light display in 1974 this was a huge deal what was really causing more riffs was the reviews 
were more about the theatrics and not about the band. It was about what Gabriel and kind of his whole art show of this was. So they, while they're in Cleveland, because of Cleveland is the place of broken dreams, Gabriel said, eh, I'm leaving the band when it's over. You know, in August of 1975, he kind of left and they, you know, they hadn't, and we'll, we'll talk about this, you know, you brought up how they hadn't really found themselves. Well, at this point, Banks and Rutherford are like, we can't sing. They They're also like, can't dance, Paul. <laughs> they, they can't dance. Hackett's like, hey, I just want to play guitar. And this puts Collins in the inevitable position, having to kind of step up. And as you talked about, they're very polite. And, you know, so he... Gabriel uh, brings in Collins to help do drums on his solo work, and which is basically his full his four self titled albums. Phil Collins is actually talking to Peter Gabriel about this, and he's like, "I, I don't know." And Gabriel was the one that said, "You can do this. You have a voice. You you need to take over for them." It was actually at Gabriel's behest that and that he gave Collins the confidence to become the front man um, for them. Now. There was another source of contention. When Gabriel left, the band was forty was four hundred thousand pounds in nineteen seventy four in of uh, what they um they owed in money. When Gabriel left, to give you an idea, in two thousand twenty one, that's over three. That's about three million euro equivalency. So that's about. $3.6 million that they owed in 1974. Equivalency when you take into account um, inflation. There were some hard feelings between some of the members of the band. Yet, as you talked about, they still were very polite and understanding of each other throughout these years, except for Tony Banks, who's a fucking asshole. I love that guy so much. <laughs> Dude, it's so, it's so great. Like you watch, the, you watch the whole thing, every one of them. And he'll tell you, he'll be like, yeah, well, you know, I don't really care for this album. Uh <laughs> Which we'll get to when we talk, because this is now an album he seems to care for. Yeah, yeah, he's like, you know, I think that I think the lyrics were quite trite and confusing and a blunder, but musically, I love what I did on my piano here, and I love what I did here, and I love what I did here. Those parts were good, but you know, then Gabriel had to put his voice on it, or then Rutherford had to do this, or then Hackett had to play his guitar over it and ruin my piece. Oh my god, <laughs> this guy's so bitter. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> That's kind of the whole whole deal. And yeah, they were a prog rock band. Um, if you ever get the chance to outside of this, there's a call. There's a song called um, Supper. Uh, Supper's ready. It is a 24 minute epic song, much like Floyd. It's all about this dream Gabriel had about the apocalypse. And he's like, we're going to write a song, a 24 minute song about this dream I have around the we're doing the apocalypse. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> the the band that did Invisible Touch and Susu Studio did a 24-minute song about the apocalypse, Joe. How does that make you feel? It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's no world of land of confusion, but, you know. <laughs> so in, in terms of things and how this has um, the legacy of this, um, this has sold between 100 and 150 million albums worldwide. Um, in the U.S., it sold 21.5 million, um, 7.2 million in the U.K., 5.6 in Germany. Um, so this is like an incredible world appeal. This is one of those things where it's considered one of the best concept albums of all time. It's called the, in some forms, it's called the Ulysses of concept albums. Brian May considers Steve Hackett a influence. Rush considers them uh, a influence. Eddie Van Halen considers Steve Hackett a 
influence. Iron Maiden founder Stephen Steve Harris says, if it wasn't for Gabriel Area Genesis, I wouldn't have probably gotten in the music. Um, this goes on to Simple Minds, Will Sargent, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Human League. This is a very, very, very influential album uh, within... Uh, this is proto-prog, essentially, to the to what it was. So, that being said, Joe, let's get into it. I want to hear your thoughts, uh, highlights, lowlights of what you think of this 98-minute epic. I really enjoyed this album. And I do have some gripes on it, but mm-hmm. overall, I thought it's such like a musical journey, and the mu- musicianship on it is so fucking phenomenal. It just floors me. Uh, you know, it it was so good that it, I didn't. I had to do a second take when they started their uh, hand fart solo. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, this was phenomenal, and it's uh, it's. I you know it's a central prog album. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a lot of these tracks are just great. Uh, the I I really only have one gripe, and I would be that it's too wordy for me. Oh, it oh, just yeah. doesn't let the story breathe. Uh, it's at times it feels like Gabriel singing a novel at me. <laughs> okay, Tony Banks. <laughs> well, like you know, yeah. he brings it up in that documentary, and like. Because I was thinking that as like uh, maybe I'm the only one. No, no, Tony Banks brought it up too. <laughs> yep, Tony Banks brought it up too. Tony Banks wanted more breathing room on this. Yeah, and, yep, and he I wanted more help because like at times I forget it's a concept album. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that you know when it's getting so weird. And like uh, you know sometimes the way they recorded it was uh, I think attributes to that because uh, when I think of we think of other concept albums uh, they're demoed out. Uh, yep. If you think of like Tommy, mm-hmm. uh, Football, Pros and Cons, like uh, even, you know, they have like this, uh, how each song is supposed to feel. And I think that kind of like when you have the band writing the music and then Gabriel in the other room writing lyrics to that music, it, it kind of confuses the concept. Yeah, I can follow, completely follow. I can completely agree with that. Um, it is wordy, and you know there are things on it that I don't like necessarily um, as well. So what were like your highlights? What were some of your favorite? Do you have any idea? Yeah, like, well, some your- first, the, the title track is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> Isn't it? It's so, you know, it starts with that piano, and it mm. just, it's so grand and epic, and it feels like, uh, it really feels like, you know, like um, watching a musical. Yes. Like, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like, it just ropes you in. It is so, uh, uh, you know, it it sets the story up, and it's just, just really good. Uh, Let's see. Other highlights, I liked uh, In the Cage a lot. Mm -hmm. It has like, and at times it feels like it's almost like a a Who-era Tommy song at times, which is really cool. The keyboards, uh, just everything is great. Uh, counting out time, I really liked. See, I'm such a sucker for like a catchy, uh, poppy metal- melody. Yep. That just kind of like, boom, that hits me. <laughs> and when you look at the lyrics of it, it's a dark-ass song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I wrote in my notes, uh, just just because I want to bring up Gilmer, uh, Hairless Heart. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds yeah. me of Division Bell Floyd. So uh-huh. Gilmer ripped off Genesis. <laughs> yep, Gilmer sure the hell did. God damn you, Gilmer. Fucking Gilmer. Gilmer. Any way I liked, I wrote that down. 
mm-hmm. the guitar on there, uh, pian- the pianos. Yeah, uh, the reprise, The Light Lies Down. Those were kind of like my highlights. Uh, uh, writing the scree I wrote, like, kind of, it has a lot of funkiness to it, which I enjoyed. Like, it's, it's like a smorgasbord of like styles and genres at times, which yes. is real. You know, it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Because like each song kind of changes a lot and metamorphoses it into something else from what it starts. Yeah, those were kind of like my highlights. Yes. Um, what, what I, I mean, you got songs in here called "Here Comes a Supernatural Anesthetist." I mean, who the fuck <laughs> writes a song titled that, right? Um, my, I love the Lamb Lays Down on Broadway. Yeah, it's the perfect opening, and then I like how it breaks in the Fly on the Windshield. Yeah. Um, Broadway Melody of 1974. I don't think that aged well. Well, Tool uh, ripped off the bass line. But lyrically, like, you know, there's a lot of references to people around that time. So I think there's a yeah. lot of things like, you know, I know Brenny Luce, um, Lenny Bruce was very important, but not a lot of this generation even has a clue who that is anymore. Even less is Marshall McLuhan. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and so, like, when I say wordy, like, it's stuff like this when Gabriel's doing that. And then he'll, like, kind of, like, it feels like ad-libbed like uh, voiceover to a song and it's just like calm calm your tits man like <laughs> you're calm your, pulling calm, a humor here Gabriel. Calm, your, calm your tits Gabriel. <laughs> uh yeah oh another one i liked was a grand parade of lifeless packaging isn't that a great song yeah yeah, that was yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I did not really care for "Cuckoo Cocoon." <laughs> Cuckoo Cocoon. I think that's <laughs> it felt song. like a novelty song. It is. It's a novelty song. Yeah, but it's funny. I like it. But go on. But yeah, so yeah, it's just you know, it's uh, well, I already said my favorites. I'm just kind of riffing off yours now. Well, so I think that whole section from really counting out time and then it makes that move in the carpet crawlers the carpet crawlers is probably one of my favorite songs by genesis as a whole um i just love it and i would i would invite both you in the audience they were still doing this song live even after gabriel left and i would argue that even a live phil collins on this even sounds better well they still they were they probably still when they do tour i know they did a little reunion they still do the song lamb lies down mm-hmm. in a medley i believe yes they do and they will occasionally pull out carpet crawlers and um i i think that's a really strong song like and then it goes to the chamber of 20 of 32 doors lily white lilith waiting room anyway here comes the that supernatural anesthetist and then the lamia i love the lamia um I, I have done carpet crawlers for karaoke and have tried covering it several times. The Lamia is something else I would love to cover at some point. Um, I think it's the the way it builds and goes and the musicianship on it and the music on it is something that is it, it's a beauty that is lost in music, in my opinion. Um, you may differ on that, but I just think it's a gorgeous sounding song. No, I agree. And but you know, this is also this. You know, this is also a product of its time. This is a, I'm, you know, not a dig at it, but it's a very 70s sounding album. Oh, yes. Yes. Let's let's be clear here. <clears throat> yeah, you're not getting, this isn't a timeless album. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, it sounds like 70s Praga. <laughs> There's times, uh, I you know, I don't want, you know, don't take it as me, like, insulting it. It's just, no. like, I find hilarity and smugness. 
the smug level on this album is like at 11. <laughs> and another reference of Spinal Tap, it feels like uh, the Stonehenge scene sometimes. I, well, again, I, I think I think if you want to look at that, I think this tour was one of the things that Christopher Guest looked at when he was doing Spinal Tap. Because there was some, there was, I mean, in the interviews, Tony Banks talks about how shitty some of the shows were um, because of all the costuming and the changing and it was going on so fast and, you know, Gabriel couldn't get some of the costumes on fast enough. Uh, Yeah. My favorite Mm -hmm. was getting to the wordiness. Phil Collins was talking about like Gabriel comes running through like this giant phallus with a giant rubber mask on his head. And he's like, yeah, I thought that was a bad idea because there's a lot of words in that song and he's getting winded pretty fast. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He is running around with a giant penis on his head at some point. He, he, he definitely is. Um, Yeah. I, you know, now we kind of talked about the musicianship of it. What did you think of it as a concept album? Again, I think it was like the weakest element. Uh, going back to my inner Tony Banks, I had to go on Wikipedia to understand what the concept was. That is uh, uh, that kind of makes your uh, if you can't describe a concept album, in my opinion, in four sentences or less, you kind of need to retool it a bit. <laughs> uh, I can the wall. A guy emo- uses emotional scarring of childhood traumas to uh, isolate himself. Boom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's your concept, Tommy. You know. Kid born deaf, dumb, blind, becomes a pinball phenomenon. (laughs) He wasn't, no, he wasn't born deaf, dumb, and blind. He was abused into being deaf, dumb, and blind. Let's, let's be clear on that. So uh, so I, I, you know, even when I'm reading the, the, the synopsis of the, of the concept uh, of the story, I get, uh, I, my eyes kind of glaze over because even that is getting dense. (laughs) Yeah, I you know, I wanted you to go on this without saying anything, and this is how I took the album, because I'll be honest with you, I was really, really loved this, but I had to kind of do the same thing. I'm like, I think I know what this album's saying, but I'm not smart enough to, you know, I, I'm also smart enough to go, I don't know everything, so I looked it up as well. Really, I think the whole, basically, the lamb lays down on Broadway is all you need to kind of understand. It basically my impression of it and if you look into um gabriel's kind of explanation of of some of this is it's basically this kid in new york this this punk in new york takes a drug trip and this is what he experiences as well on these drugs and so it doesn't all have to make sense that's interesting but it doesn't really make for a compelling concept (laughs) i guess and and i think it's also he's writing not from experience but like uh, creating something from whole co- cloth that I don't think he completely understood, which is another thing. Like, I mean, the main character, Rael, is a half Puerto Rican kid living in New York City. Talk about being as far away from like your <laughs> knowledge center as Peter Gabriel could have been in 1974. <laughs> right. And Peter Gabriel has said in multiple, multiple interviews, he's never done drugs. It, it never was a thing he wanted to get into or had any desire to do. So he's also writing that aspect of it from a point of view of this is what I think drugs do to you. And uh, that, that right there just knocked up the smug level to 12. <laughs> <laughs> but this one goes to 11. Um, <laughs> makes 10 the most smug. Yeah, no, it, it really kind of does, doesn't it? You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of missteps in, in, in the fact that it is. Gonna get, Go on. Gonna get, I'm not shitting on it, but like, uh, I think it's from my uh, growing up 
you know, and watching Monty Python and finding hilarity in like the smug guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I listen to this, like you know, it's not not it's not taken away from the music, but I, I there, you know, that the hand fart thing, like I just started laughing uncontrollably while I was driving. Like me trying to hand fart right now. I used to be able to do it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, like. <laughs> It almost yes. felt like they just didn't want the guitarist to put a solo there. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Hackett. Sit back for a minute. We're going to hand fart. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, lyrically, it gets a little dense. And then, you know, when you're listening to it, I want to, this is the experience that I've had with it, where I'm kind of like, you know, Lamb lays down on Broadway. I'm like, okay, I understand you're set up the concept album. And then we get, you know, four songs go by before we get to In the Cage. And then I feel like, Oh, yeah, they're talking about the concept again. And then, you know, okay, back in New York, okay, we're talking about the concept again. Okay, counting out time, we're talking about Rail being a sex offender. All right, in a happy way. Perfect. Thanks, Gabriel. Um, and, and then Carver Crawls kicks in and you go, Whoa, wait, where did we end up? <laughs> and, and that goes all the way through. And then the Lomnia happens and you go, wait, what? <laughs> like, you get the colony of the slipper men and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> slow this boat here a bit, yep. and then you get down to the light lays. The light lays down on Rob, and you're like, "Oh, we're back at the concept album." Okay, and we should also remember, like, fractions were so uh, tense while they were making this. The Collins actually suggested maybe just doing it as an instrumental album. He did. <clears throat> he did. I would, you know, <laughs> I would have listened to that if you took Gabriel's vocals out. I would lo- listen to this and. Love it. Just probably not love it as much because Gabriel's one of my favorite uh, vocalists. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like I said, that's why I love Carpet Crawlers, the notes he hits in Carpet Crawlers and in Lamia, how the buildup and like like the crescendo through that song and I his think vocal- when he just rocks. Oh, yeah. like almost like a generic like 70s. He's got such a great rock voice. And I think he does often gets, you know, when you listen to, like, his 80s stuff, I think that gets overshadowed with, like, the synths and the drum machines and st- that sort of thing. So I think people often forget he was a pretty good uh, rock front man. Mm. Yes. Yes, he was. And if you enjoy that kind of stuff, I think you'd enjoy more Gabriel Genesis because he shines more and was given more songs to do that with. Yeah. Um, and he gets songs to do that in here. Yeah. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, yeah, so it gets a little lost, and then you have in the rapids where it's still kind of the concept album, but it's left open ended. Like, what happens here? And um, the way I looked at it was this is Gabriel's idea of <clears throat> this kid did LSD, went through all this stuff, and never came back normal, like, never really got out of his drug haze. Which, okay, you can now take the smugness up to a 13, uh, <laughs> and then it ends on it. <laughs> so, oh, did we even mention that Brian Eno contributes sound effects to this album? We did not mention that. That is a great. There's a lot joke. to bring up in this, but yeah, like uh, I, I that kind of surprised me too. I was like, holy shit, Brian Eno <laughs> worked on this album. Mm-hmm. I love Brian Eno. Uh, Here come the Warm Jets is one of my favorite albums. So Brian Eno is amazing, and um, you know that was also part of the deal. Where you know he was working with Eno doing that thing, and then Gabriel he asked, sold Phil Collins to play drums. Yes, 
Yes, yes, because he's kind of like, hey, while we're doing this, do you want to do some stuff on this album we're working on? And that's another thing that pissed off the band was Eno shows up, and not only does Eno show up, then he fucking pimps out with Collins to him. <laughs> Collins was Gabriel's bottom bitch, man. <laughs> you know, and Gabriel, and like I said, um, Collins is just the nicest guy ever. He was just happy to be doing anything. <laughs> you know, he and he was, and I want to say this too. The drumming on this album, yeah, the, I, you is, know, it's shocking because again, we grew up in the eighties, nineties. Mm-hmm. The drumming of Genesis for me was gross. I hated it, and I blame a lot of Gilmer's momentary lapse of reason of taking uh, influence from it. God damn it, Gilmer! <laughs> Gilmer, you ruined Pink Floyd. <laughs> Gilmer, you ruined everything. You stole the worst stuff of Genesis, Gilmer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but the drumming on this is fucking amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Collins, uh, you know, this kind of this upped my appreciation for him as a musician. Uh, This upped my appreciation for all everybody in this band as musicians because you know, again, my my knowledge is their '80s hits. Yep. I think that's a lot of people's knowledge of Genesis. Did Again, you know- I, I had no idea until 2000 that Peter Gabriel was even in the band. <laughs> right. And I think a lot of people do because it just, for whatever reason, their their early stuff with Genesis and the band never really got a lot of American airplay. I People in the UK, I'm sure, know it left and right, like we know Floyd in a way. But they just never got that, that recognition because Floyd was more sellable. Commercial. Commercial yeah. and it was sellable, and <clears throat> that's the downside to something like this is that there is a great library of Genesis out there that people have no idea uh, because the stuff they did with Gabriel, although be it good, was way outshined about the multi billions of dollars they made with the three of them. Um, <clears throat> so, did you know also that this is considered? One of uh, the earliest recordings of someone doing like a intricate tapping of the guitar that you know, I had the pe- idea uh, the guitar was so sparse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, this was like one of the things where, like, this again, where Van Halen heard this, like, how is he doing that? And in one of the interviews, he uh, Rutherford's like, yeah, so I, you know, I took a guitar. And I started playing it like a piano, like this, to get these particular sounds. And people seemed to like that. And it, they must have because it really caught on. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's that smugness, like that polite smugness to it. Um, yeah, it's really, really interesting on that. And, um, you know, there there is a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack uh, on this album and everything that kind of went on with it. I don't know which version you listen to, but there's a remaster of it. Yeah, uh, I listened to the, uh, the 2007 stereo mix. Okay. I not, I, I'm more, I've heard both and there's some things I like on the 1990, uh, the 2007 remix. And there's things that I like on the other one. Um, because this was more Tony Banks rewriting history a little bit here because Tony Banks kind of went in, you know, Jenna, you know, and was like, yeah, well, Gabriel, you're not in the band anymore. So I'm going to add this. And Gabriel's like, okay, do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this was the only one that was available to me on uh, Spotify. So. Absolutely. It's really the harder. It's really the only one you can get unless you go to YouTube and 
find it like the whole album on YouTube. Um, there, there is someone that actually took the vinyl and put it on YouTube. The, you know, the production of it. And we talked about, you know, you had John Burns, you had Genesis, uh, you had Brian Eno, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, doing his inossification vocal treatments, as he liked to call it, on In the Cage and the Grand Parade. Um, you know, you, you had a, a, cor- a, a choral contribution to this thing. Y- you know, it was just, there was so much going on. Um, in this album and again when you really think about it gabriel's flying in and out he's writing lyrics um he's off doing this own thing the band's angry you know tony banks is you know having a fucking shit show and rutherford is i I, the rutherford's kind of a sycophant in my mind when you look at later stuff like when they got phil collins out of it um and they did that horrible album without uh with the what's his name i think it was from extreme or whatever you know it was tony banks that was like well if because you know, Phil Collins, okay, Phil Collins is a badass drummer. And listen to Genesis. He had to go through neck fusion. He had to have spinal neck fusion because of the way he was drumming so hard um, and the way he was drumming so wildly that he fucking ruined the, some um, vertebrae and in, in discs in his neck from hitting the drums too hard. So he was recuperating from this surgery. And Tony Banks was like, fuck Collins. We'll just get someone else in here and make this album. We can't wait on Collins. <laughs> and so, yeah, like I look at Tony Banks like the absolute villain of uh, of Genesis myself. I love him. He's so angry all the time. It's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. A, a snark to your heart? Oh, yeah. Snark to my heart, man. Like, <laughs> I, I can see why people don't like him. But, but I give, give him this. He's a goddamn brilliant keyist uh pianist he really really is the what he can do with keyboards and melodies and changing things is is genius um so uh, you know, in addition to that uh, talking about the concept of it the other problem with this album it moved away from the concept i think you'll agree with that i mean they get into things like mythology with the lomnia <laughs> Yeah, um, you know they get in the uh, sexual revolutions, advertising. They even bash consumerism. There's a lot of statements being made on this. Oh you know, yeah, it's uh, you know it's the the smugness. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know I think some of that uh, maybe Gabriel is just overthinking and being too wordy, and you know it happens, but it didn't really take away too much for me at least. Um, do you want me to crank the smugness up a little bit more for you? <laughs> so. Gabriel um, talked about how several of the stories, occurrences, and settings derived from his dreams. Collins said that he felt the entire concept was about split personality. And Gabriel uh, also felt that the songs alone were enough to detail all the action in his story. So he wrote the full plot on the album's sleeve. (laughs) 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 Yep. (laughs) <laughs> but also i want to point out poor collins not only getting pimped out and everything like that collins was was the one mixing and dubbing all night and then tony and mike would come in and remix what he had done because he'd lost all sense of normality um by the time he would get done so he'd be remixing all night and by the end of it making all you know like they're like what the fuck is he mixing it this way so then tony and mike would come in in the mornings make adjustments and then things would get done and then they'd make Collins go in at night 
<laughs> overnight and do her mixing, and that cycle kept repeating. <laughs> yeah, that's very reminiscent of how Dark Side of the Moon was. <laughs> you had Gilmore and Waters both doing different mixes. Yeah, yeah, and that's what this was. You had you had Gabriel writing the lyrics. You had Collins kind of mixing it the way he felt Gabriel would want it and how he liked it sounds. And then Tony and Mike would come in, and Tony being the prick he was, but like, I'm changing this. And Mike being a sycophant was like, yeah, sure, man, do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> I love Tony Banks so much. I could watch interviews of him all day. Dude, if you guys... Just do yourself a favor and watch this. It's a very easy. Just look up the land, land, land versus. Um, I mean, the land lays down on Broadway. Doc and yeah, it pops up. It's fifty minutes and it's worth it. It's <laughs> just because everybody's so polite, and then you get him. He's like, "Yeah, I think that was real shit." You know, like, <laughs> like I'm not gonna apologize. I have nothing to apologize. He talks a mile a minute like he's on fucking coke. Dude. I, I think he is. I think he really is. I think he's either that or he's a dry drunk, dry coker. Right? He just never got over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he hated. He just hated some of the lyrics and he hated what some of what even Collins was doing and, and Rutherford was doing. He's like, he ruined my fucking piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird uh, where they all kind of land on with this album. And <laughs> it just, I think it's hilarious. It's like Phil Collins like, yeah, it's probably my favorite album we ever did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then you have, Tony Banks being like, I hate this album. Uh, I think it makes very clear that this is his least favorite um, Genesis album. And uh, so, Joe, that is, I'm glad I was able to bring you in and the audience into what is The Lamb Lays Down on Broadway. Personally, musically, I think it's outstanding. I think, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I think it outshines some of what Floyd did musically. Oh, yeah, I agree. Just the musicianship in this band was uh, just phenomenal. And I'm trying to like musically, I think like uh, an album that came close for me musically as a sprawling double album with a lot of musical ideas, similar to this, but doesn't, doesn't really have the concept would be like nine inch nails is the fragile. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what I was thinking a lot of times. Like this kind of reminds me of like, you know, I think Reznor took a, a cue from this album. It's like, yeah, we can do like do these dramatic, like musical changes and, just sprawl it and let let the music breathe because the lyrics for God fuck is not going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I guess it's considered it's in like a lot of people's top concept albums of all time. Um, you know, um, Lamb uh, for um, uh, Q Magazine and Mojo Magazine ranks number fifteen, or excuse me, number fourteen. In uh, cosmic rock albums, um, it came in third um, in Uncuts magazine for concept album. Um, there is a whole you know article dedicated to it being called the 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 Ulysses of concept <laughs> albums by the New Yorker. Another wordy piece of art. <laughs> Another wordy piece of art, right? And a lot of people consider it some of Gabriel's best work. Um, you know, super, super interesting. Like it didn't do well in the U S but it did have that appeal among, among musicians. So it's probably grown a life of its own now with like streaming services. It's easier to come across music. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably more appreciated now than when it came out, which to me is kind of interesting because I don't think like 
even in my life, or even in your life, right? Like, even with COVID, like, if we didn't have COVID, how easy would it be to sit down and listen to a 98-minute concept album? Oh, I have all the time in the world, Paul. I can't do it in my life. I can listen to this shit all day. <laughs> it's Fine. Pretty, fairly simple for a guy like me to do that, Paul. <laughs> Two busybodies I don't know about. <laughs> True. So, Joe, would you recommend The Lamb Lays Down on Broadway? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been listening to this pretty much like nonstop since last week. And it's just it's it just floors me musically. Uh, again, the, the lyrics and the concept are probably the the weaker elements of it, but uh, that's a very tiny caveat because it's a it's a pretty phenomenal album. Hand fart solos and all. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say I recommend it as well. And interestingly enough, Joe, well, one, one last thing: Rhythm Magazine voted it the fourth greatest drumming album in the history of progressive rock. Um, I, and I, I do. I, I mean, if you guys think, you know, I think anyone that's listening to this is kind of like, oh, God, Phil Collins, Genesis, because you mentioned earlier your introduction to it. My introduction to Genesis really was um, my dad would buy these fucking VHS tapes of bands uh, like Elvis and and, you know, um, and. One of the other ones he got into was was Genesis, these Genesis live albums. And my dad would get absolutely fucking drunk as shit and dance around the fucking living room in his underwear at, at times being just out of his tits drunk. And, phenomenal, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I, I have images of Phil Collins and the TV sitting in the living room with my dad fucking laughing and and trying to sing along and dancing in his fucking tidy whities <laughs> just drunk as fuck oh my god that's not man. living life paul i don't know what it is <laughs> well you could say he lived life to the fullest then <laughs> so yeah i i i strongly strongly recommend this album um just if anything yes lyrically it's dense um, lyrically, you know, you may f- don't feel dumb if you go, I don't get what they're trying to say here. Yeah. Um, Most of the band doesn't know what they're trying to say here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is all from, this is all, if, 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 if it's to be true, this all came from the subconscious dreams of Peter Gabriel and Peter Gabriel trying to fucking put those in the words. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would strongly, strongly recommend that album, this album. Joe, it's your turn next week. What are we doing? Uh, I want to switch things up because we've done some proggy smugness here for a bit. Mm -hmm. And we just had, what was it, International Women's Day not too long ago as time of this recording. So I want to do some second wave Riot Girl. Uh, We're going back to 1997. We're doing Sleater Kenny's uh, Dig Me Out. Yes! Oh, I'm excited for that. Uh, if you don't know who Sleater Kinney is, they're phenomenal. Uh, you probably know Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia. Uh, Janet Wise is their was their drummer on this. She's known for a really good indie band called Quasi. Uh, this is uh, yeah, we're we're going we're kind of going back into the punk rock genre. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love me some Sleater Kinney. 
Um, so I'm excited. I, 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 it's been a long time since I've actually like, I have some of their stuff in my playlist. It's been a long time since I listened to a full album of it. Um, so I'm excited to do that. So which album is that of theirs? Dig me up. 1997. Dig me up. All right. I will put that on my, 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 uh, my thing. I am excited. That's, that's a little bit of a palate cleanser. I think, uh, not a cleanser. Uh, I really love this album. I still need a palate cleanser from Gilmer's momentary lapse of fuck all. <laughs> Jesus, Joe. I'm wow. still angry. <laughs> I, I want to point out to the audience, if you haven't picked up yet, Joe doesn't swear nearly as much. I brought this up the last episode. Joe doesn't swear nearly as much. He's a big fan of chucklehead and redacting things. For <laughs> like, you know, you know it's coming from a place of pure white hot hatred if he's fucking swearing about it <laughs> that's right, that <laughs> right. Yeah. all right i think that's gonna be real interesting to go into into cedar kinney i think that's a fantastic idea um all right joe what are you guys still on hiatus there with the uh with the joe down yep we're on hiatus until further notice but we'll when we come back we will be doing red dragon uh, uh the uh, pointless remake of a cinematic masterpiece uh called manhunter both from the book red dragon god oh man yeah i am a bigger manhunter fan than i am red dragon Manhunter's phenomenal uh movie it's, it's so good which we def first year of the jodan we did review manhunter oh god so good i still try to watch that movie every once uh, once a year because I just fucking love it. The crescendo, the climax of that movie. Ryan is, Cox is uh, the second, my second favorite Hannibal Lecter after my, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> Controversial take, Joe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, 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 honestly, the use of Inagata DeVita in Manhunter is probably the most genius thing ever put to film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the bullshit version. <laughs> From Brett Ratner, of all people. Mm. You know, known for his nuance. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all what right. Do you, what do you have going on? Um, I just did a lot, another round of editing. Um, the Cast That Movie, episode two. Uh, you know, working with three people, it's hard to get everyone's schedules together. Um. So we'll get to that when we get to that. But after we're done doing this, um, uh, I am going to uh, edit out the first episode of Stranger Things. Um, Tour of Hawkins, um, a podcast about Stranger Things, hosted by Griffiny. I am the co-host for that one. So I'm, in, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, it'll be her first podcast like 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 that she's done that's gonna be carried by us. She's super excited to join the um Joe Down Pod Down family. So I think this is gonna be a good opportunity for her to get an audience. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Joe. And with that, I, I think all we can do is um cocoon. Find- cocoon. 